and welcome to the Let's Not Panic podcast. We're two practical people chronicling a pretty impractical trip from San Francisco to Panagonia. We're trying not to panic. If you're just joining us, I'm Maggie. And I'm Adam. And we're a married couple who've quit our jobs, given up our lease, and hit the road in a Toyota 4Runner that's now our home. Except right now. Except right now. But. But on the plus side, today we have two very special guests. We're super excited to have Richard and Ashley of Desk to Glory on the show today. Richard and Ashley have been driving their 1990 Toyota pickup around North, South, and Central America off and on since October 2013, blogging and Instagramming the whole way. Welcome, guys. Thanks Thanks. for having us. Thanks for joining us. We're so excited to have you guys, in part because when we were planning our trip, you guys were a major source of resource and inspiration for us. So it's really exciting to have you. Absolutely. I think you gave me the reassurance that I didn't need tons of recovery gear on the vehicle, that you had the sand tracks, but you had never used them, and the high lift jack you thought about, and just all this. I mean, you know, you kind of calmed me down, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think you recognize the common pattern uh, that you may have gone through when you were planning the trip of trying to think of every single thing ahead of time. Um, And you guys were just like, once you're on the road, it's it's all cool. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we're paying it forward for the the blogs that had done that for us. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When we were well, when when we first started looking into the trip or Richard did, he was um, looking at blogs from home on the highway and ruin adventures mm-hmm. lost World expedition and they all had really simple vehicle setups so that's what we knew as overland vehicle travel yeah we hadn't heard about overland expo we haven't didn't know about overland journal or anything so uh when we saw people sleeping in the back of their forerunners we're like okay this is the normal way to do it <laughs> yeah and i guess that worked out for you pretty well right looking back yeah. <laughs> yeah we we just made it back to the to the house that i actually built the truck at so after seventy thousand kilometers down wow. to patagonia and, and back so i guess it worked yeah Excellent. no kidding yeah um what advice would you guys have for somebody who's considering this trip now um i i would say that being prepared but not planning too much yeah and also you know, go out for two weeks or a week or something with your vehicle on a trip and see what you really need and what you really don't need. Like do a little crash course. Um, cause that'll sort out quickly kind of the things that you will need or will not need to be comfortable, to be comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. I remember Maggie and I did a test run in Baja, uh, cause we were in California. So it was an easier drive to get there. And it's the little things you're very, I always found myself very surprised, um, about the things that we didn't like about our setup that weren't working, like little things like the table, (laughs) like our table is too finicky. It takes too long to set up. This needs to change. Um, and yet all the stuff that you imagine is super important really doesn't come up very often. Like, uh, Oh, what happens if we get stuck in a hole and we need this equipment to get us out? Um, Exactly. What kind of equipment did you guys either add or pare down after your guys' test run? We didn't do a test run. <laughs> <laughs> so so your advice is uh, because we didn't do this, you should do it. Don't do as I say, not as I do. Not as I do, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, as an example, the first night we set up like our first night on the trip was the first night that we set up the tent. Oh and wow. We never used our awning. Oh my goodness. We d- we didn't have a camp table. 
we were using camp chairs that we bought for $3.99 from Fred Meyer in Oregon. Many years ago. Many years ago. Like, we, we were not prepared at all. But we did kind of suss out those things along the way. And we were lucky that we had about, I think, a month or so in the U.S. And then some time in Mexico to get ourselves sorted out. And, you know, things kind of changed along the way. In Ecuador, Richard rebuilt our platform in the back with slide-out drawers. Um, and little things like LED lights went in in Mexico. And, you, you know, you're kind of... Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of tweaking things along the way. Um, and there are plenty of opportunities to do that, especially in... Well, U.S. is easy, but Mexico is just... Like, you can be in La Paz and Baja and go to Walmart and Home Depot and get anything you need to rearrange your, your um, auto organization. Well, there's auto, auto zones zone. in Mexico. So you can leave with pretty much nothing and build your truck along the way if you really wanted to. See, Adam, we would have made it. Yeah, we went the exact opposite approach. <laughs> we, had, we had two years of agonizing where it was basically my part-time job to like plan. And so... Um, I was, yeah, at reading everything I could and thinking about everything I could ahead of time. And it's funny because no matter how much you do, you're exactly right. When you're on the road, it's just, you're going to need to adjust things. Your things are not going to work out the way that you wanted. Um, yeah. so do you guys have a favorite adjustment you made to your vehicle? The lights. So I would say in all circumstances, whether we're driving or whether we're at like at camp, having like the more light the better because as soon as it gets dark there there are no street lights you're in the middle of nowhere so having like leds for driving because the stock headlights on our truck were not the best mm -hmm. and then when you camp the more light you have for more floodlights or lights inside the truck for um just trying to get fine gear and then set up camp they were they made a huge difference I also really liked the Richard's modification that of the um the pull out drawers in the back of the truck and they were all organized so that our kitchen items and um miscellaneous things were better organized and we could find things really easily. That yes. was huge for us instead of everything being in Tupperware containers. Yeah, I think I saw your guys' kitchen setup and it was um off the back of the truck, right? You used to cook like right off the tail of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. he gets heated, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy. <laughs> so that's fun when you have to go back in and grab something that you forgot when the stove's sitting on the tailgate. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a propane tank. Yeah, it was, we, yeah, we were very green. <laughs> well, but not anymore, was, though. I, I don't know. I think we probably would have been overwhelmed with details as well if we had known about where to find the information or looked into it, so... Absolutely. Maybe it's better for us to be a bit naive. I don't know. <laughs> Is there anything you guys wish you'd known on the onset of your trip? I don't think so. Well, now looking back on it, I, I think it worked out just fine. Yeah, me too. The only thing I would have done is I probably would have studied Spanish before we left. Oh, yeah. that's our That was our biggest regret. Yeah. So how long were you guys in Central and South America? Uh, I know you split your trip right across a, a little bit of time in Costa Rica. Is that right? Yeah, so we our original plan was actually to drive to Panama and back in six months. But after seven months, we made it to Costa Rica and decided, and at that point, well, we knew that we wanted to keep on going. 
to South America. We had talked to so many people coming up that from that way and other people heading down and we did a little bit more research about it and we decided we wanted to continue down, but we didn't have the finances for it. So we drove down to as far as uh, San Jose in Costa Rica and put the truck in a warehouse, which is the same. It's like a customs warehouse and stored it there for 11 and a half months while we flew home and went back to work to save more money for the second half of our trip. Um, so we spent, we did do some, some Spanish lessons along the way for sure. But I think it would have been more beneficial if we had learned the basics before we left. Yeah. We, when we got to Mexico, we didn't even know how to ask like how much, like how much is this campsite? Oh my. So we, we rolled up to a campsite and we're like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but so you spent- learn really, really quickly on the road. I'm sure you guys, you know, have picked up little phrases or you see phrase like little things in stores or on um the highway driving on the signs or whatever you pick it up really quickly but we kind of were able to have a basic conversation with the locals but to get to that point where you can discuss you know feelings and thoughts and dreams and what their opinions are on things i think would have political policy depth in our experience for sure um so yeah how long well i don't know if if ever but did you guys feel like towards the end when you were in patagonia you had that ability because i'm that's where i'm we're kind of halfway in between that point right now too and i'm hoping to get to that point where you can have a little bit deeper of a conversation do you feel like you guys got there i think yes and no um the spanish changes in argentina and chile it's very different so we almost had to relearn a lot of words and the accent and some of the conjugations and pronunciations. There's a lot of slang in Chile and it's very fast. So we almost actually felt like we didn't understand a lot um, when we were in Chile. Sorry to break that bad news to you, but yeah, know, it gives us something to look forward to. Um, but then we would have a conversation with somebody, you know, and I feel like we understood more by the end. Yes, definitely. Got it. So, and especially when everybody's really, really good about it. So if we start having a conversation, they know very well that Spanish is not our first language. So they'll slow down. Sometimes. And, well, <laughs> Sometimes. some people slow down and, and definitely like work with us. Yeah. I, I hear you guys. Um, there's a funny thing that happens. Um, I'm half Japanese and I have big curly hair. And so when we travel through Latin America, everyone assumes um, I'm also from Latin America. Uh, so they will slow down for Adam, but they won't slow down for me. And they kind of get <laughs> mad at Maggie uh, for not not being up to speed. <laughs> so I, I hear you. It's really kind when people are willing to like be patient with you and slow down. <laughs> Especially yeah. in the places where the accent changes. Um, we've had that experience in Cuba and on the Caribbean coast of uh, Colombia. It's a much faster and they clip yeah. words. So it doesn't sound like even the words we already know. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like Chile also has like extra vocabulary on top of that kind of excitement. Yes. But also faster because that was one thing they didn't yeah. do here. It was just that they were dropping syllables and slurring things together a lot. Um, but it sounds like when it's faster, it's going to be even harder for us. 
You'll be fine. All right. <laughs> That's all we're looking for. We're just panicking internally. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, what has been the best part of traveling on and off for so long? And what's been the hardest part? There are so many good things. Um, I think one of the things that I like the most about it is it taught me that, like, if we can do this, we can do anything. Like, if you can, like, quitting my job and going without income for as long as we did seemed, like, so out there for me before we did it. It it seemed 100% impossible because we live paycheck to paycheck, just like so many people do. And then once we made the, the decision to leave and actually save some money and budget properly and somehow we were able to survive with no income for like the, for the last like 16 months, especially in a foreign country with a foreign language, not knowing what's going on some of the time, not I guess maybe it gave us a bit of confidence. Yeah. yeah. Like it, I, you know what, if I come back to like, when I go back to work, I can choose the job I want to go to, or I can start a business or I can do whatever because just, I don't know, just give me a lot of confidence that I can do. You have options, whatever I want. I think the other thing, too, is we realized that being outside and spending time outdoors is really important to us. Um, so it was such a treat to be able to live outside. Um, and now we crave it. You know, we have to be outside or go for a walk or just be in the trees or at the beach or in the mountains. Uh, but at the same time, I both of us really, really appreciate being indoors with hot water showers and I don't know, Not having... wearing flip flops in the shower or having, a... <laughs> you know, washing dishes with hot water and soap and yeah, we really appreciate um, the amenities and the comfort that we were just used to back home. Yeah, we really don't have anything to complain about. No, <laughs> I think uh, we've gotten a little taste of what you're talking about. Uh, just coming back for three months. So we've been on the road for three months straight. And then we came back for Maggie's book signing. Um, and we're still here in San Francisco. And we I think we got a taste of both of those things that you just mentioned just a little bit, um, because we haven't been on the road for as long. But uh, for instance, I'm not a super social person. But now that you when we come back and the language barrier is no longer there and I can be a lot more expressive with my words, I'm a lot more into talking to people in just stranger situations, you know, and at the same time, very nice to have a nice hot shower. I'm a little worried. We've been home for too long because I've gotten so used to hot showers again because I'd like finally gotten to the place where I was like, this bucket shower is the best shower. <laughs> well, just wait. After two or three nights of camping in the heat in Colombia, the bucket shower is going to be perfect. Once <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it won't it take long. Long, get back used to it. It is amazing how quickly you kind of adjust to certain things in life on the road. Um, you usually, well, for us, I think it took like a couple weeks to a month to really get in our, you know, rhythm again after going back home. Um, but that was being home for almost a year. That was a bit longer, but. Um, yeah, it's crazy what becomes old hat so quickly again, whether it's coming back home or whether it's being back on the road. Yeah. So one of the things that we get asked about a lot and that we love talking about with other couples who do this trip is the kind of particular uh, 
way it is when you travel with your romantic partner. And we were wondering, what is it like for you guys traveling as a couple? Oh, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best no, thing ever. No, it's fantastic. I think we had like one disagreement sort of fight issue one Navigation. time while navigating. Whoops. And otherwise, it's so wonderful. I don't know. We don't really fight often or have a lot of disagreements. Richard's super relaxed and... It's it's nice to be able to spend the time together and to share the experiences with each other about like, oh, look at that volcano or driving through Bolivia or just like things that we could never talk about with other people, I guess. Yeah, now nobody else understands. Well, some people You guys understand. understand. But we oh, haven't been well, to Bolivia yet, so we don't understand. You will understand. <laughs> like quote unquote real life. Mm-hmm. It's it yeah we we understand the experiences that we've had together, but it's tough. It's really really tough to explain those to other people who haven't done something similar. I think, I think they get it though. Yeah, um, we're working on it. Um, that you're making us feel really bad though because we've definitely had a little bit more. <laughs> we've had more than one argument, well, <laughs> but not a ton. Not to make it sound like it's just constant fighting, but you know we. Uh, but it is a very intimate space, um, and especially if you go from you know working your separate jobs to then living basically on top of one another, it's definitely an adjustment. I don't know if you guys had um, even just internally moments of like, oh, this is an adjustment now. Like I have less privacy, I have less alone time, or anything like that. Um, I don't no. think so. We were, I think <laughs> we're, we're really weird. <laughs> you guys are so cute. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're really lucky, yeah. Too, or like just with like a relationship in general, but like we don't we don't fight normally. We don't have disagreements normally, and if ever we're having a dis- disagreement, it's usually cured pretty quickly by like, "Hey, when was the last time you ate?" Yeah, and, and then at that point, I say, "I'm not hungry," <laughs> and then I realize in my head that no, I missed lunch and I am hungry, and this is hanger. <laughs> and- yeah. Even though I'll deny it, it's normally just that's the case. So I think even that is such a wonderful lesson to take away um, from that probably happens more when you're traveling as a couple because you have someone there to kind of check you. But things like physical comfort have a huge effect on your mood. And it can be really easy to be feel disconnected from that and to be hangry at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes a systems check is in order. (laughs) When we were in northern Colombia it was so hot and we definitely were more snappy with yeah. each other just because the heat made us really angry basically yeah but what will be interesting is when we go back to like when I go back to school and Richard goes back to work and we're living the lifestyle that we lived before we left and I wonder how that's gonna affect our relationship if at all like if it'll be different we'll interact differently I'm not sure I think it's so wonderful, though, that you guys take this as um, like your special shared experience that brings you closer in a way that you can't necessarily explain is such like a heartening and beautiful thing to hear from people who've been on the road for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You guys sound neat. (laughs) We're not not that good. (laughs) So Maggie's doing all the, the serious emotional questions and I'm super into the gear. 
So if you had a million dollars to spend, what would you add to your setup? Single thing. Obviously, you can't just rebuy the entire vehicle, but what would the one thing be that you would splurge on? I would say indoor living space. Yeah. So obviously, this gets <laughs> talked about on the road a lot and between us and between other travelers. But if you have a small vehicle, you always want something bigger. Mm-hmm. And if you have a big vehicle, usually you're longing for something smaller to get around, like small trails or towns, et cetera. So there's always the fine fine line of like the smaller the vehicle the better for traveling the larger the vehicle the better for living and for us the way we built the truck i think was the best bang for the buck for comfort and like drop like for driving for reliability for comfort when when stopped but the one thing yeah definitely inside living space of some sort and whether that's like a camper of some sort on like the truck that we have or a million dollars though a million i know but can I <laughs> other things let your dream like traveling no let your dream <laughs> oh, I... what would you do with a million dollars to make our rig to make our rig or to change our rig to change because you said change it. all allow change that, that's i have any rigs possible no <laughs> <laughs> I think I would build you take, it. You take our truck okay. and put a million dollars into it. Damn. <laughs> I, I think I would build a custom camper for it. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Yeah. Okay. I totally, I can see where you're coming from. We've met our friends on the road, um, had a camper. Um, and yep. it was, it's like a grass is always greener situation. Cause I'm sure, like you said, they would prefer to be able to, you know, go through the La Guajira province of yep. Colombia. And they probably couldn't in their vehicle because it was so big and heavy. Um, but but they so, have a toilet. Yeah, they, and they <laughs> have like a little table, a kitchen, and like a a dining room to sit in. So um, yeah, and and when we're when you're just moving constantly, I'm like, yeah, the camping is is great. But as soon as you have to do anything, like work on the computer, edit some photos, like make a podcast. Then the sitting inside when it's windy or raining or whatever else the weather is doing is very nice. Yeah. yeah. So and and that's another thing that my friend Luis told me to do before we left. He's like, "What about inside living space?" And I'm like, "Whatever, Luis." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, million dollars, a custom camper, and maybe some different seats. Definitely. Ah, <laughs> Air conditioning. Oh, air conditioning would be nice. Oh. What? So that's an interesting <laughs> subject, which this is actually a, a point of contention, like Maggie and I were discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, we received the advice, or I re- read the advice, that actually having air conditioning overall makes it worse for you because you don't get adjusted to the climate. You have these little pods that you go in during the day, and you, you just mentally cling to it as like, that's what normal is. And then you get out and it's like, oh, this is so hot and humid. It's terrible. Um, it sounds but, like somebody who didn't have air conditioning told you that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, right? Maybe. <laughs> somebody with air conditioning. <laughs> eventually, it just came to like, okay, Adam, drop it. We're just going to have air conditioning. Well, I think it's notable that places like Arizona used to have no, like basically no population until artificial cold was invented. Oh, fair like enough. human beings didn't live like that you know, in that kind of heat um 
But and so you guys saying you wish you had air conditioning, uh, I feel like goes in a tally on my side of like that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's reasonable to want air conditioning. Maggie is making some very intense eye contact right now. <laughs> <laughs> Driving in like Colombia, oh, man, I get sweaty. I would say mm. for sure, and at night because it's extremely hard to sleep when it's that hot out. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I think we would have been okay during the day. Well, we were okay during the day. Yeah, we were okay during, we were okay, kind of okay the entire time, but. I think the worst part is when you're in a city that's hot and you're in stop and go traffic Mm. and the sun's just beating down on you. Because if you're moving, it's Mm. fine. The wind is fine. Yeah, we're going deaf because it's so loud, but (laughs) I'm not that way. But like, we're comfortable enough. It's just when like you stop and you're in stop and go traffic and yeah, sweating. That Panama sounds City. so brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Panama City, I think, was like... That was really was hot like, there. like 37 degrees Celsius and 70% humidity or something. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm having empathy discomfort just hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your guys' favorite place you've visited? I know that's kind of a tough question. We get this question a lot. Um, we have a few. Uh... I want to go by country because it's too hard to from, specify. From north to south? Mexico or Baja. Especially, yeah, Baja. Baja. But let's, we love Mexico generally. We can, we can go a little more detail with, I love Mexico and I love the food. But I think the Baja, food, yeah. it's just so wild there. The food is good. People are great. And nice it's beaches. nice beaches. But you really don't, it's, it, first of all, it was the first part of the trip. So it was like brand new for us. And you can just camp on the beach. You can camp in the mountains. You can camp anywhere because it's so wild. And that's something we never really got again until South South America. Yeah. So in Central, we were kind of just relegated to campsites or like, sure, you could you could go and find some some camp spots that are on the beach and wild. But it was much easier in Baja. Mm -hmm. And for all those reasons, super inexpensive. And all the rest of it. Um, I really, really loved our time there. On that note, um, so they, a lot of advice tells you don't drive at night and don't ever camp alone in a location. And that's, it's fine in theory, um, but it sounds like it's difficult and very limiting. And it sounds like that's not your guys' approach um, through the entire trip. Is that the case? We sure tried not to drive at night. We definitely made it a rule, but we broke the rule a few times. Um, one time we were in Nicaragua and everybody was like, there's a beautiful beach in such and such a location. There were like three or four people that told us. So we drove all the way up and we got there and there were some weird vibes. Like I think they had had like a festival or a big party that had ended like the day before. So there was like trash everywhere and everybody was staring at us. We felt really uncomfortable staying there for the night. Um, So we turned around and drove somewhere else that was safer. And we did drive at night and we had to be really careful. And I would definitely advise never to drive at night. But cows on the road, sometimes sitting on the on the shoulders of the road, like playing on the shoulder of the road. Yeah, it was and pitch black. Yeah. But yeah, definitely we. Or one time we were coming into Honduras from El Salvador and we planned everything out time-wise. And then I think the border took a little longer than we thought or something. 
So we arrived in Copan yep. um, a little later than we would have liked. It was, you know, we were in the dark again, but um, yeah, sometimes there are no happens sometimes. Right. And then with respect to camping alone, we didn't do it as much, I don't think, in Mexico and Central, uh, but we did do it more often in South America, just because it has more wild spaces and we felt a bit safer generally there. Um, yeah, that makes sense. In Canada and the U.S. sometimes too, more so in Canada now. Yeah. Um, but I think like yeah. part of the, part of the feeling comfortable is first of all the op- wide op- like the open spaces, but also being more comfortable when, with the language. So when somebody comes up to us, we can have a conversation and ask if it's okay to camp there, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to when we were in Central and maybe our Spanish wasn't that great. So. Somebody could say something to me that could say, yeah, it's fine to camp here. Whereas I could interpret it as like, no, something else. but I didn't have skills with the language to differentiate. So I don't know about you guys. We get asked an awful lot about safety concerns. And I was wondering if you guys had any wisdom you'd like to share about how you guys thought about safety on the onset and how that idea changed over time, if it did. Um, I think it's very easy to think about the safety and security concerns before you leave. But when you're on the road, it, they all, you just deal with it. And there's, and we didn't have any issues. We really just made sure that we parked the vehicle somewhere that we could watch it or that we felt like it was relatively safe. And I think that was the biggest thing for us was really picking where we parked it. Yeah. Like, Especially if we were parking and leaving it, if we were going on a multi-day hike or something, or, you know, keeping a good eye on it if we're in a certain town that doesn't feel quite right, but we're parking it while we go run in and get groceries or something like that. But we weren't too concerned, I guess. Well, kind of. Yeah, kind of. I I put a, like, and this is just like security for the truck and and our gear, but... I, I put a lockbox in the truck for camera gear and laptops and hard drives because the only thing that really mattered were, were like the photos. Because right, I wanted, right. I didn't want to lose. Like people always say, "Oh, why don't you back it up on the cloud or was whatever?" But I go through so many photos and so many terabytes of photos that you can't back anything up on Latin American Wi-Fi. Yeah. So everything's on two hard drives or three hard drives in the truck. So my main concern was keeping those safe. Right, right. And, and so I had a lockbox that was locked, like with the key inside the truck with a chain over it. So if anybody broke in, which we had a couple break-ins in the truck, but they would just take whatever was out. And normally we tried not to leave anything visible and available. So like we had a bag stolen, which had a couple books in it. And another time we had some camping like cooking gear stolen, which in the end got returned to us. But, um, yeah, Wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like I said, the main security thing was were the photos and things. But yeah, so we were in Por- Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta, and Mexico. Yeah, so my mom for Christmas, because we were away for Christmas, paid for uh, an apartment for us to stay in for a few nights as like a Christmas gift. Oh, nice. And, but so, Obviously, this time we had no choice where to park. We just had to park at the hotel or the apartment. 
And it was it's a tourist town. It was kind of not the best area, but we had no other options. So we just took everything of value out of the truck, locked it up, and hoped for the best. And one of the nights, it, we got broken into a box of our, like, uh, I can't remember what it was. Like it was pots and pans stuff, and yeah. some kitchen And kitchen our water stuff. jug. And, yeah, our water jug got stolen. And uh, we found this out the next day, fixed the, like, the broken lock and the tail. It was the canopy door, canopy hatch that got broken. So spent our time fixing that because that's the biggest pain is just fixing the truck. Um, so we upgraded, you know, from glass to steel. steel <laughs> and eventually got windows tinted and bought a club, which we should have left with. I don't even understand why we didn't, but. We just kept on, like, upgrading security as yeah. we went. Um, as we felt we needed it instead of doing it all in the beginning because we didn't know what to expect. So then a couple of days later, I got a knock on the door and it's a security guard from the apartment place that we're staying at. And he's like, follow me. And it's 8.30 at night and it's dark. And I'm following this unknown Mexican man who speaks Spanish down the, down the road. And then all of a sudden he's like, let's go down here to this dark alley. Oh. <laughs> this is like the security like the the thoughts of like security for myself start coming to mind and i'm like what's happening here two of his friends show up and i keep following them and i'm like uh what's happening here so i'm just like walking behind them by like 20 feet just following along eventually we get to this door just random door in the side of a wall the guy who uh who brought me there knocks on the door door opens up there's somebody else there who looks out, sees us, closes the door. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. He opens it up, and then he brings all the things that got stolen out of our truck out into the alley. Whoa. What? <laughs> and I'm like, I first thought, because, you know, you hear all the bad stories of Mexico, and everybody's trying to rip you off. My first thought was like, oh, did you guys steal this, and you're going to try to sell it back to me? And so that's, that's what I had in my mind. And of course, at that point, my Spanish is quite bad. So, and I'm trying to communicate with them, and I don't quite understand. So then they ran off and got um, somebody who could speak English as well. And he just explained it that these guys are all security guards for all the adjacent hotels. They saw somebody broken, that they were breaking into other vehicles or trying to break into vehicles along the road. They saw them break into ours, and then they radioed each other and ran them down chased the guys off and grabbed our gear, but they didn't know who it belonged to. So it, they spent the next two days tracking us down. Wow. Went back. Yeah. That and, is so noble. <laughs> yeah. So they wouldn't accept any money for thanks or anything. Um, Cause they said they were just doing their job. So that was on, that was Christmas 2013. Yeah. So nice little Christmas gift was our stuff back. <laughs> wow. That's such a cool story. Yeah. That's definitely contrary to what you, expect like when that story started getting a little scary at a point and then <laughs> the resolution was amazing yeah. yeah um yeah definitely once it turns into the dark alley it's like ooh. yeah small doors <laughs> in in the wall yeah. this is either how you get like inducted to the magical wizard world like underneath <laughs> Puerto Puerto Vallarta, Vallarta, yeah. or how you get killed or apparently how you get your kitchen stuff returned <laughs> yeah that was the best part so it's good we should probably quickly say what are the other favorite places were sure i interrupted you <laughs> no 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 it's yeah. okay 
um, because we left a lot out. But uh, the Andes of the, Peru, or the Cordillera Blanca in Peru, we absolutely loved. Uh, the mountains were like ginormous and epic and amazing and beautiful, and we've never seen scenery like that in our lives. So that was a special spot for us. And Bolivia was one of our favorite countries um, because the scenery was so diverse and beautiful. Um, and such a small country, like relatively small country. Well, the part that we kind of went through was small and we went through more quickly than the rest of the countries. But um, you just go from like this high altitude lake kind of by the Peruvian border into La Paz, which is like this crazy, busy city full of traffic and noise and pollution and it's just craziness um and then you go from there to oh we went to this national park with all these beautiful volcanoes covered in snow with hot springs so you would like sit in the hot springs and just view this beautiful volcano across like the plain It, it was unreal with alpacas running around and it was magical and nobody was there Except for the two of us and like another couple of friends that we had met on the trip. Yeah. In this entire national park. It was so amazing. And then from there, you know, you go to the Salar de Uni, which is the salt flat. Um, and from there we did a almost five hundred K kilometer yeah. um off road route from uh Bolivia into Chile and it goes across the Atacama Desert which looks like Mars or there are flamingos and different color lakes. Like one is this orangey color. One's like bright turquoise and yeah, it's just, it was so incredible. That's the the Laguna's route, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably the highlight or one of the highlights of the trip for us. Yeah. Those like three weeks in Bolivia was like, Astounding. Astounding. Yeah. But especially the Laguna's route was, I, I felt like that was the highlight of the trip. For sure. Yeah. It helped that we were doing it with two other couples. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, Patagonia, we really, of course, everybody says Patagonia, but we love Patagonia as well. Mostly, you know, the Argentinian side was quite amazing. Their national parks are, well, some of them are free. So, there yeah, were a couple we went Roy to. And El yeah, Tan. we went hiking and like multi-day hiking, and just the Fitzroy range was so epic, and all you could do was just keep staring at it because it's so it's iconic. It's great, yeah, it's iconic and looks amazing in person, and yeah, we had some really good hiking days there. So those yeah. are our favorite places. Memories. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Memories. <laughs> I'm so glad you loved the Lagunas route. That's the one part of the trip I am looking forward to the absolute most and have been since we first started talking about this. Yeah. We don't want to get your expectations up too high. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Amazing. Excellent. Great. Well, should we get into our three Bs? Sure. Great. So, uh, Richard and Ashley, at the end of every episode of Let's Not Panic we sum up um, the last leg of our trip with three Bs, beautiful, brutal, and bizarre. And since you guys are kind of at the end of another really big trip, we'd love to ask you guys for three Bs uh, for you. So for beautiful, this this is kind of more recent, actually. So when we shipped the vehicle to Florida, we drove north up to Canada. 
and across Canada West because we'd never driven across Canada before and we have seen more other countries than our own. So for me, we drove through um, Kananaskis in Alberta and through the like through the Rockies. And it was so amazing. <laughs> wow. It was incredible. Yeah, and this is like so close it's to... It's only like 11 hour drive. From it's in our home. backyard and we had never gone there, which is crazy. So we'll definitely be going back. So, of course, our drive through Kananaskis was in fall, right after the first snowfall. So you've got these leaves that are changing and all the nearby trees. And then the, the, all of the surrounding mountains are dusted in white snow. I think that that area is known for the larches, and the, which are the type of tree. Um, and their leaves turn this beautiful yellow color. And, um, yeah, it was just unreal. It Sounds was such magical. A, yeah. Especially after being, you know, a lot, spending close to a year driving along the Andes to come back home for us and see the Rockies was like, wow, I can't believe this is in our own backyard. So yeah, that was beautiful for me. Yeah. Okay. And then we have, uh, brutal. So brutal. We were in Ecuador, um, in Cotopaxi national park. And there's a huge volcano that we hiked up, not to the top, but like to the, glacier. to the glacier. And it was Richard's birthday while we were there. And we spent a few days camping in the park for free. Uh, and it's really gorgeous. And anyways, so the last day, or second to last day, I guess, we had heard from some other overlanders that you could drive around the volcano. And there was a road. By heard heard from all other overlanders they looked at our map and, and drew, drew it on our map and then i looked on the g like gps thing we were using i think it was map smear or something and it looked like there was a road that went around the volcano yeah so they recommended to drive around the volcano because the backside is beautiful Ooh. and we're like cool that sounds good and i had checked with a couple other you know sources to make sure and so we headed off we started driving around the volcano and it was very scenic and we had a really great time and then the road ran out. The road ran out. After four hours. Oh. So we started talking to the farmers or locals that were in the area and they're like, yeah, there's a road, there's a road. At least that's what we thought they were saying. So we kind of drove around for a while and decided to turn around because there wasn't a road basically so we turned around and drove all the way back into the park because or towards the park because you had to drive out of the park to go on this road that basically didn't exist so we come back and the gates locked Oof. we're locked out of the park or <laughs> so <laughs> we have no idea what is happening and so we're like, I guess we'll have to camp here overnight and I just like lost my mind I don't know why. I just like started crying and freaking out and I didn't want to camp in this spot and I didn't want to be locked out of the park. And yeah, I waited for like an hour or half an hour. I can't remember. About an hour. And then this, this um, truck taxi started pulling up behind us and we jumped out and we were like, Oh my goodness. Like, do you have the keys? Do you have the keys for the gate? And he like, jingled the keys outside of the window to say yes I have them and he unlocked the gate and so thankfully um he actually guided us 
like we followed him all the way to this uh, lodge, I, and I, I think he. By the, because he found us behind the locked gate, he didn't trust our judgment. In, <laughs> or, so we followed him to this lodge where um, travelers can stay or overlanders can stay in the parking lot uh, with this great view of the Cotopaxi volcano. So we went in the lodge and had a sh- you could use our shower and we had tea and went to bed and we're like, ah, yay, like so re- happy and relaxed because we survived this like crazy thing and felt much safer not being behind a gate and then at about six o'clock in the morning somebody was outside our tent yelling at us English or Spanish English or Spanish and Richard like poked his head out of the uh the tent and he smelled sulfur and the guy was like I'm a guide on the mountain or on the volcano and it's erupting and we have to oh man oh my god Wow. So we just packed up really quickly and there was ash like all over the tent and all over the truck and everybody from the lodge was evacuating and kind of like running around and freaking out. And I don't think you're actually supposed to camp for free. I think you're supposed to pay. Oh, yeah, you are supposed to pay. So I, I started going up towards the lodge to, you know, pay for a night of camping, even though there's an erupting volcano. And the, all I see is the receptionist from the hotel running into a, and jumping into the back of a moving pickup and like blasting away. Oh, wow. So, oh my God. Yes, we don't have to pay for it tonight. <laughs> it's on the house. <laughs> you got that sweet eruption discount. So <laughs> <laughs> we drove out of the park and then we made it to this little town and the highway was actually closed from close south or southbound Southbound because of protests um i don't remember what they were what the locals were protesting so we had to like make (laughs) (laughs) between the jungle or the beach and we just like hammered down towards the coast of ecuador but um the cotopaxi volcano actually was super active for the next month or two month or two and i don't think it exploded but it definitely gave off some little puffs of smoke and no like lava or anything i don't think no. but it was incredible that still you know it was still emitting after three or four weeks after we had had left so that series of events definitely qualifies as brutal in my book <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. i was just like the road being closed i was like yeah you're right i'd cry too yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I can totally imagine Maggie having a breakdown at that point. Yeah. This is not going well. (laughs) I think I might make a rule based on that story of just never let someone draw on your map. And by the way, they meant to draw it around Chimborazo Volcano, not Cotopaxi. So (laughs) the back of Chimborazo is supposed to be very nice. (laughs) Yeah, keep that out when you're down there. Yeah. Uh, Got it. And the ice man, what's his name? The last ice merchant. The last ice merchant is still gathering ice from the Chimborazo volcano. And there's a documentary that's really awesome about that whole story. Oh, interesting. um, So check that out too. So yeah. Great. All right. Do you guys have a choice for Bazaar? Yes. We were in Colombia and heading towards uh, Alcacuy National Park. And... I don't, I can't remember what route we were taking, but it was about 10 hours of gravel roads and always like meandering through the mountains and through small towns. And we were making our way through like just past 
a small town which actually only had like a handful of houses and a building. And this cop comes running out. Stop, 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 stop. I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder what I did. And he stops us. He's like, can I have a ride? My motorcycle broke down. <laughs> in English, right? Yeah, in English, like fluent yeah. English. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. He's like, okay. So he goes and like, locks up his motorcycle somewhere else. And and the cab of our truck is really, really small. Yeah, like, we literally, we don't have the back seat because of the lockbox. So I was sitting in the middle section where the shifter is. So I was, like, sitting a bit further back. And we were, like, all kind of super squished together. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, a couple of hour. <laughs> At so, least. so we're in this, uh, we're, we're giving this guy a ride. And maybe half hour into the ride, and all of a sudden, it's just he just like yells, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" again. And so I stop the truck, and he gets out and pulls out his gun and runs the truck. And I'm like, "What What's is happening? happening?" Oh man! And I look behind, and he's like, "Come here! Come here!" As he like motions me to come out, and I so I like walk out behind the truck. I'm like, "What? The, what is going on here?" He's got his gun out, and he's like, "I think I saw a black mamba." I'm like, "Pardon?" He's like. I love snakes, but I hate them so much. And he's just like, he just like loves wildlife, but he was very afraid of the snake, but he wanted to see it. He had his gun out to see the snake? To see the snake, and he uses protection. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I thought, yes. you, I thought he, he was going to be a snake hunter or something. He just wanted to see him. <laughs> he just was very he was so interested. Excited. Oh, man. He's like, I love snakes, but I'm so afraid of them. <laughs> I want to be this guy's friend. I like his attitude. <laughs> I'll show you what rude it was, and then uh, you can Maybe probably meet pick him. him up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he was really sweet because he invited us to the police station. He's like, do you guys need any water, or do you need any showers? and Or food. Or food. Or... And, then, and then he's like, oh, actually, we're having a party. You should stay for the party. And we're like, oh, what time is the party? Because the town was having a big festival. He's like, oh, on the weekend, which was like five days away. And I'm like, well, we're kind of just driving through. I don't know if we can stick around for five days for the for the party. He's like, but it's supposed to be really good. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh. We have lots of really interesting cop stories. And <laughs> all of them are kind of like funny, like the money. And all in Colombia. The money one. Okay. Say the money one. Okay. Really fast. Really fast. It's really good. It's another bizarre <laughs> one. And also due to my uh, lack of understanding of the Spanish language. But... So we got pulled over. We were actually coming back from Cabo de la Vela, mm-hmm. back uh, <laughs> along the coast, heading west. And we're trying to get to, I can't remember where it was. I forget. What town it was. But we're trying to get back before the sunset. Rio Acha, probably. Uh, I was past that, but oh, yes. Okay. okay. Um, so we're heading, it was after we had made it back off the dirt and on the highway. Mm-hmm. So we're meandering west and get get stopped at a like, regular roadblock. Five or six uh, Colombian police officers there. Just asked for the normal stuff, driver's license, passport, and everything. The, but the, my favorite part was they. He, so he called me around the back of the truck and opens up. So asked me to open up the back and look inside. And as usual, they say, "Wow, you have a lot of stuff." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And then I close it all up, and two of them have me behind the truck, and they're like, "Hey," I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "We want to see your money," and I was like, "Pardon?" They're like, they're like, show us your money. And I'm like, eh. and this is in Spanish. So I'm like, I'm not quite understanding what's going on. And I'm like, okay. 
I'm like, but I don't have any. I just went, I just went with like, I don't have any. And they're like, well, they're like, you're from British Columbia. And I said, yes. They're like, we want to see your money. I'm like, I have what, (laughs) I still don't quite understand what's going on until somebody comes up and he comes behind the truck and they speak to each other. And and he pulls out his smartphone and looks up Canadian currency. Oh. What does the Canadian What what does British Columbian money look like versus regular (laughs) Colombian money? Oh, okay. Oh. Like, I thought for sure they're looking for a bribe of some sort. Nope. Just a misunderstanding. Just they want to see your money. They just wanted to get a good look at a loony. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's kind of cute, too. Yeah. These are both just very endearing stories. (laughs) Make me want to be friends with these people. (laughs) Just got to go to Columbia. Yeah, we haven't. Nobody has. No cops have hopped in our car yet. And no one has asked. Well, they probably all know what American dollars look like. Our currency is not exciting. (laughs) Um, But. I would be delighted by either of those circumstances, I think, once I got over the fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my way with dealing with any sort of uncertainty is just act confused, which is quite easy for me. I'm usually confused. <laughs> and smiling. I usually, yeah. Lots of smiling. Lots of smiling goes a long way. Yeah. Confused, smiling. Got it. That sounds like my MO just for regular life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you guys, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. We're really excited about it. Um, yeah. Would you like to tell people where they can see evidence of all your amazing travels? Yeah, so we have our website at Um, Instagram. At Glory, And Facebook is, or Glory on Facebook. So you'll be updated with all of our current adventures i guess on yeah all three of those yeah and what is are you guys both photographers or is that just richard just richard your photography is amazing (laughs) well it it makes it a lot easier when we're in south america and they have like the beautiful landscapes and people and yeah i'm not i don't being humble (laughs) it's point the camera at stuff and it does everything else (laughs) Sure. We highly recommend their blog and Instagram and Facebook to see all these amazing pictures and read their amazing stories. Absolutely. I know we were inspired when we found it. Absolutely. Yeah, check it out. And if anybody has, uh, we have a contact um, section, I guess, on the uh, website. So if anybody has any questions. Shoot us an email. Yeah, the trip or anything, just shoot us an email because we love answering those. Yeah. And to that end, thank you for talking Adam out of investing in a bunch of recovery equipment that we don't have room for. Yay! (laughs) We can account for the fact that they answer their emails thoroughly and with responses about your particular overlanding questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find us on Instagram at Let's Not Panic. And please subscribe and review us on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Yes, we love it when you do that. And thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, guys.